my name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of this programme will know, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership and today that mission takes us to Bedfordshire where we're joined on the programme by David Morris. Uh, David, very warm welcome to you and thank you for joining us. Good morning, Scott. It's a pleasure having you with us, David. Now, uh, to the listeners who aren't familiar with David, um, he's the founder and managing director of three engineering companies in the Bedfordshire area, namely Combined Test Solutions Limited, Overmold Limited, and Ball Electronics. Um, now, um, David, um, I'm just interested um, to sort of hear a little bit more initially about sort of your journey into the uh, the sector. Um, you founded, of course, your business in uh, 1990. Um, when was it that you realised that kind of going into business for yourself within this industry and becoming sort of a leader in your own right, when did you understand that that was going to be the way forward for you? What made that decision? I guess it was, um, you know, it, it stemmed from starting a five-year electronics apprenticeship in 77 um, and uh, ending up uh, working for Marconi Instruments and having um, a very... Um, wonderful career there, rising to, you know, the dizzy heights of management, um, you know, by the time I was 29, but realizing that actually uh, the way the company was run was so far away from how I would run a company uh, in terms of looking after people um, and going through rounds of redundancies when profits weren't high enough um, was a very soul-destroying experience, you know, giving grown men redundancies who'd been there all their lives because, um, well, just because they had to go to balance the books. And I decided that that was enough. I would start a company that looked after customers first, employees second. And then if that went well, then the company would go well. So that was really the kickoff point in the late 80s, uh, just after the, um, I guess it was where the, when, the, when the interest rates leapt from 7 to 15% and we couldn't afford to stay in our houses. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And um, since that period of time, of course, there have been an incredible raft of challenges for businesses. I mean, we have, of course, um, in the late noughties, the global financial crisis for one. In the last two years, of course, we've been faced with COVID. Um, How sort of in a, if we call it a crisis situation like those, how is it that you sort of go about guiding your business and maintaining morale in-house through a time such as that? Well, I think you have to have personal experience to guide you first. So when I resigned from Marconi to start my company, I broke my back in a trampoline accident and I had to be discharged from hospital and lie flat on the dining room floor for six months. So I started my company lying on my back with a telephone. So I think when you go through those sort of um, difficulties, you appreciate uh, a lot about the difficulties people have getting jobs and um you know, you, you have a different perspective on, on people when you've had such challenges yourself. Um, so I think the way to do it has been the guiding philosophy is treat everybody as you would be treated yourself, whether they're the managing director of, of a big organization or the person who cleans the toilets. They're equal in value um, and, um, and you should respect them the same way. And by doing that, uh, you will find people want to work for you. I think that's a classic example as well of, you know, sort of facing a significant setback personally and then almost learning from that experience. And I think in many ways, I mean, are we a little bit sort of risk and setback averse in the UK, do you feel? Do we kind of shy away from setbacks and maybe don't approach things with the win or learn mentality that maybe we should do? I think it's about what, um, 
you know, what's been built in you through um, uh, nurture and through the nature of your character, really. Um, some people are natural fighters. Um, and, um, you know, it's a, I suppose it's a bit like the Black Knight in Monty Python. You know, chop both his arms and legs mm. off, he can still headbutt you. Um, I think it's that, that attitude of, um, look, this can be done, this is achievable. Um, but, you know, by heck, it's not easy. Absolutely. And um, overcoming sort of the operational challenges of the pandemic, especially over the last couple of years, that's been an immense challenge for business, but one that industry isn't stood up to very well. Um, how did you sort of go about sort of responding to some of the operational issues that were sort of thrust your way when that all came about yeah. over the last two years? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Scott. I, I guess the first thing was um, my wife, who looks after the finances of the companies. Uh, but both she and I caught COVID in March 20. So we were we were knocked out before anyone knew quite what it was. Mm. And then the next stage was um, that the phone stopped ringing. Literally that day that the employees, where everyone was sent home, um, the phone stopped ringing, email stopped coming. It was like the world had ended. And um, the very amusing thing afterwards was my uh, one of my sons now runs one of my companies. Um, and he and I went on... Um, a course at Cranfield. And one of the things they said to us was, look, you've got too much money stashed in your bank account. You should uh, pay yourselves more or, um, or invest more. Uh, you only need three months money. Um, well, COVID came along and we used up all of that cash pile, keeping the companies going um, and uh, maintaining the business. With, without a year's worth of money, we, we would have gone under like many other businesses. So uh, that was a salutary lesson. Just shows, doesn't it, that being prudent ahead of a rainy day can certainly pay dividends in the long run, can't it? And maybe a lot of businesses <laughs> that have failed um, weren't necessarily doing that. Yes, it was. It was. Um, nobody expected the unexpected. Exactly right. And um, obviously COVID as well. I mean, it took away everyone's ability to kind of plan for the long term. And I suppose what's happened there is we've kind of been able to sort of do that a bit more in more recent months now that we've come out of the acute phase of the uh, the pandemic. But we've now sort of entered a phase, haven't we, where we're in a bit of a volatile spell with this sort of cost of living issue, um, supply chain issues, given the lockdowns in China that are coming back. So it's still a bit of an uncertain yeah. environment for sort of businesses within your industry, especially for SMEs. And they're in a period of time where, you know, they need a great deal of support and maybe that the, the support that they're requiring isn't necessarily filtering through. I I, I agree with that. It, it's it's been an enormous challenge with what with um, Brexit and the um, never imagined in your worst dreams difficulties with importing and exporting, um, all of those issues. That now with component shortages, I spend a lot of my time scouring the planet for particular components for things we build here. Um, and I, of course, the other thing with COVID is that we're a man, we're manufacturing. Um, you know, we can't have people working at home. We work all together as a team. Mm. And, um, you know, that's been a challenge that once people have got over the fears, um, they're quite happy to come in because it's like an extended family. But, you know, they're all further challenges to a small business. That's exactly it, isn't it? And um, it's kind of giving people that sort of courage to kind of come back in and understand that, you know, things are at a point where it's no longer an immediate and present danger, this virus. But, you know, that, that's still going to linger. And we are sort of far more aware of, you know, sort of mental health, anxiety and well-being than we ever have been. And leaders need to be sort of very sensitive to that when working with their colleagues nowadays. Yes, yes, it, it, it's, it's a big issue. But by having... Um, 
you know, in a smaller company, you can people know each other, and you you as the founder of the company can can make sure that people are happy, they are fulfilled, that you have conversations with them, um, and uh, you know you can't always keep everybody happy all of the time, but just by trying um, it shows shows a sense of caring in the company, and uh, people are happy to work in that kind of environment. The, the difficulty it comes touch on one of your points, Scott, is really the bureaucracy that comes down from big business or, or government to businesses mm. then comes down to the small guys. So, you know, if, if you take a company where we were for many years just five people in one company, um, one person's off sick, that's 20% of the workforce. Um, huge effect. When if you're 20,000 people, nobody notices. Uh, there's a lot of things that would help small business if government would could understand small business, and they would be, you know, they would be things from tax breaks to employee um, easements to all sorts of things until you got to certain sizes, and then were deemed, you know, viable enough to have, you know, some of these big business restrictions and um, things placed on you. I mean, that's what I call the bureaucracy. I know, I know, it's capable of attaining high levels of efficiency, but um, it, it's it's a huge frustration when you're an entrepreneur and you can see opportunities and go for them, but the effort is not rewarded um, in, in terms of your business plan because of the faff and hassle of trying to just get, get through the red tape. <laughs> mm. And you mentioned as well sort of the need for maybe sort of tax credits for smaller businesses there as well. And um, I did actually speak to a business leader from um, the very same industry um, um, earlier on on the program. And they talked about sort of having something like that in place in order to, you know, deliver quality training in-house to try and obviously deal with the skills gap that the industry is currently experiencing. And maybe that's a trick that the government's missing as well, isn't it? Well, training is, is very important. And um, one of the things that you know, we, we've, we've, we've been taking on apprentices whenever we can. Um, and you, know, you find that the, the two biggest things are attitude and aptitude. If someone has the right attitude, you can, you can teach them and they want to learn. Um, and their aptitude depends on all sorts of things, from intelligence to skill sets to whatever. But by, by working with them, you can find what they're good at and what makes them tick and, and what they can succeed at. And, and you adapt your business or the jobs in the business to that if the person has the right attitude. Um, but we have, we have a different paradigm of people. Sadly, I'm 60 years old now, and I'm of an era. Um, mm. And it's not the same anymore. <laughs> That's exactly it, isn't it? I mean, the face of leadership, let's say. I mean, it's having to change, isn't it? Because these younger generations are so sort of differently sort of minded, aren't they? And that comes with its own challenges, doesn't it? When you are sort of of that older demographic and you are working with that generation of people, as I say, they're far more kind of mental health and well-being orientated, um, but also demands are changing. And that also makes the recruitment environment quite difficult because the first thing that a lot of job candidates are looking at are, you know, what are your well-being policies, but also what are your flexible working policies? And in industries like manufacturing, I mean, it's just not conducive to that side of things. Yeah, that's again, um, you know, an, an interesting point, Scott, because, um, you know, flexible working, we've, we've just introduced that, you know, all the employees discussed it, we had some meetings about it. And again, you know, you can get 99% on board and there's 1% who can't or don't want to, to change. Um, 
and obviously you're changing their job contract, so you have to be very careful. Um, but that's worked. It, it's appearing to work out well, and you know the productivity hasn't gone down. We haven't been running long enough like that yet to see if it's better. But I think the biggest thing of all with this is good management um, at, you know, practices uh, have, will never change. You know, mm. if you look after people and care for people, you will always they will always do their best, and you will always get the best out of them. If you stop looking after people and manage by numbers, you end up with with a big business. You might be very wealthy, but you won't end up with a happy workplace. That's my view. Exactly right. I mean, it's it's managing sort of it's people management, isn't it? I mean, it's making sure that you have that open door policy, and you know that everybody in that workforce they can come to you and they feel appreciated. And I think when you sort of instill that culture in place as you said there, they will go above and beyond for you. And I think those businesses that have done very well in pivoting during the pandemic, they're probably the businesses that most likely had a culture like that in place where their workforce felt valued and therefore they were willing to go in, get their hands dirty, go above and beyond to keep those vital services running. Yeah, I mean, again, it's all about attitude. Mm. You know, when, when, when COVID was, you know, upon us and there was shutdown, we made sure we answered answered all the phones, answered all the emails within within minutes every time, although there was a lot less of them and it was easier. There was never an excuse of hiding behind COVID. Um, sadly, like many government and big business organisations, I had the misfortune of calling British Gas. Um, what a nightmare. You know, spoke to four different representatives, got cut off twice, got referred to wrong numbers, got on again. And hours of your life are wasted where you could have started another company by the time you'd actually got through to do what you wanted to do. And that's all hiding behind COVID. It's uh, it's a huge frustration. Exactly right. And you find that it's big business as opposed to the small guys, the SMEs that tend to deploy those tactics. And, you know, SMEs don't have that option. I mean, they've had to obviously go above and beyond during this time because it's their livelihoods. And I think SMEs that form the backbone of the UK economy, they've done very, very well. And they're going to be incredibly important to the future of the UK economy as we move toward, you know, this sort of net zero sustainability, levelling up agenda. So it's important that these businesses that are the core of this country they're going to get that support that they deserve over the coming uh, months and years because they're going to be critical. No, I, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, if you compare us to Germany, um, you know, we have a lot of um, work working with, with German um, engineering companies over the years. And, and it's very clear in Germany that um, small companies are, are not uh, being created, certainly, you know, in the Stuttgart area that I've been involved in for so long. And that big business just keeps getting bigger, and it's almost an under, you know, an unwritten, unspoken policy of, of the government. And I know our government is not quite the same, but there is still a feeling that, um, you know, just look over the last few years, the biggest businesses have grown a lot bigger, and many, many small ones have disappeared. So, you know, I think it does need to be fundamental governmental change in the treatment of SMEs, but not just with training courses and grants here and there it's i think it's much more fundamental there has to be much more reward um possible for someone who's basically going to give up you know a huge chunk of their lives building a business um and they may never end up being richard branson they might just end up being me um and that's fine that's that's our choice but they they need to have much more fertile ground to grow in uh, than a few handouts does that make sense 
Exactly right. I mean, the, the whole sort of funding model needs to be changed for businesses like this when it comes to sort of R&D, when it comes to training especially, and that's very topical at the moment, as we've discussed there. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see whether that support is going to be forthcoming over the coming months and years because, you know, these guys, they are vital Absolutely. to the good of the uh, the economy. And, you know, since this... um. Yeah you know, situation is in a constant state of flux. I'd be interested, actually, David, um, 12 months from now, just before we wrap things up, um, where do you sort of see yourself and your businesses and what is it that you're sort of hoping to achieve by this time in 2023 within this environment? Well, I mean, personally, I've been battling bowel cancer, so I I have a slightly different agenda, um, which is to survive as long as possible. Um, And uh, I'm in a process of um, handing two businesses over um, and potentially selling one or um, or finding a way to for it to be run by someone else. So, so my, yeah, my agenda is a little different that way, but it, it is basically to, to keep to keep slow, steady growth up because there's no such thing as fast growth without risk. And um, we, we are slow and steady. Um, that's why we've been around first company 30 years, the second one 20 years, and the third one five years. So. Like I say, hopefully the businesses do continue to uh, to ramp up in that sense. And uh, David, I'm terribly sorry, of course, to hear of that personal battle and do, of course, wish you all the luck in the world in uh, pulling through. I mean, it's some incredible amount of courage you have there. Um, and should, of course, that go well, I relish the opportunity actually to catch up at some point in the next year just to see how things are coming along because I've really enjoyed having you joining us on the show today. It's been incredibly enlightening for me. Well, thank thank you, Scott. And I look forward to being around for a lot longer than than I might otherwise. So, um, yeah, (laughs) look forward to that conversation and all the best to you. And all the best, David. And uh, by all means, do also take care and stay safe with all still going on as well. Thank you. Goodbye, Scott. It was an immense pleasure welcoming David Morris, founder and managing director of Combined Test Solutions, Overmold and Ball Electronics onto the show today. And I do hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview. Um, To remind everybody listening in, if you are a business owner or the head of an organisation which you feel has its own story to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then by all means, we do also want to hear from you. So why not also apply to be on the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, you've been listening to the Leaders' Council podcast with your host, Scott Chaloner. Do take care and goodbye all.